Life Christian Centre is a church located in the city of Adelaide. It is made up of people from different backgrounds and walks of life who have been transformed through a relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us online at www.life-church.com.au. It's a real pleasure to have Pastor Gary Swenson uh, with us uh, this morning. Uh, for those that don't know uh, Gary, he's been in church ministry and leadership roles with the ACC for over 40 years. Uh, he's currently the State Ministries Director for the ACC in Queensland, a role uh, that uh, carries the responsibility of coaching and mentoring uh, leaders and support, uh, supporting pastors uh, in, in, in ministry. Um, he's uh, he's a, just a great man of God, just a humble man of God, and he genuinely loves people, loves the church. And uh, it's, I feel like it's a privilege to have him with us. Um, when we get guest speakers in the church, I don't want to just get any, there's plenty of guest speakers out there, but I always look for speakers that are, have a, carry the spirit of this church and, and also that I believe are going to add value uh, to us. And I believe that friendships are a gift from God and connections are a gift from God. And I believe that certainly our connection uh, with Pastor Gary is a gift from the Lord and it certainly carries the anointing on his life and just a genuine um, great man of God. And I know that you're going to hear the word of the Lord today. So would you give him a great big warm welcome as he comes to minister today. Amen. Christian Centre. Uh, it's all right. My, and maybe this is why there's such a good connection. The church I used to pastor on the Gold Coast was called Life Christian Church. Um, so I think there's just something already there. Um, it is such a privilege to be here. And in fact, um, I don't take lightly the opportunity to preach anywhere. I get, um, and it's, it's a privilege to be asked to preach anywhere. It's an honour when you're invited back. And uh, I, the first, last time I was here was in September 2019. I actually had a look this morning. And I was scheduled to be here back again in June 2020. And there was this little thing some of you may remember called COVID. And that kind of, so, so here we are. Wonderful to see you. Wow. Praise and worship was awesome. Not because of the great music, which it was. Great band, great team. But because of the presence of God's in the house. And I sense that so powerfully this morning. Sometimes I think church is the best kept secret. You know, people probably this morning drove past, some of you coming here would have driven past a golf club or a cricket club or swimming club or some sort of club on the way here. And unless we're engaged in that particular activity, we go, we go oh, that's for the people who are, love bowls or play bowls. That's for the people who play cricket. That's for the people. And sometimes people drive past a church building, they go, they think it's like a club. That's for the people who play church or oh, hopefully not, you're not playing church. But how many of you know this is more than a club? How many of you know what we have is community? This is family. We are a part of something awesome. And if you don't understand that, you really need to. This is different to, to any club. And um, I'm just making sure my, yes, my iPad is on Do Not Disturb. I was in the middle of preaching a couple of years ago in a congregation probably about this size. And in the middle of my preaching... Siri goes, I'm sorry, I didn't get that. <laughs> so ever since I have learned to make sure that Siri's not listening. Um, if I were not a Christian, if I were not 
a follower of Jesus? How would I find out about Jesus in today's world? How, how would I find out about the church? And what opinions would I form? It's a, it's a question that we need to really think about. Because if you are a follower of Jesus this morning, how many of you know that we actually, we're here on mission? We're here for purpose. Not, we're not just on the love boat cruise till Jesus comes back. Um, I would suggest to you that quite possibly many people would form in today's society, would form their opinion of Jesus, of the church, of Christianity from media and social media and all the stuff that's out there. And I would suggest to you that that's not really very healthy most times. That that environment is filled with, with judgmental opinions and hatred and vitriol and and condemnation, all sorts of stuff. And that's just from the Christians. No, I'm not just. But I want to suggest to you this morning that people need to form their opinion of Jesus from you and from me. And I think as followers of Jesus, we need to rediscover our mission and to seek to understand how we can fulfil that now in a world that is changing and has rapidly changed. The church used to be, even in Australia, though we have never been a religious nation, but the church used to be embedded in our culture. It no longer is. And our culture is not coming to the church. We have to go to our culture. Ah, uh, I don't know about you, but sometimes I... I get so frustrated, I get so angry at some of the stupidity I see in our crazy world and culture, the changes I see. I mean, I, you just, you can get so overwhelmed by it sometimes. I don't know about you, but, but sometimes my brain feels like a, an internet browser on my computer. You know, I've got 17 windows are open, four are frozen. I don't know where the music's coming from. You ever had that? And sometimes... You just go, how can our culture be so stupid? Forgive me for saying that. Like even sometimes, you just want to take people out. <laughs> See, I, I um, yeah, I'll, I'll say this. I, I'm, I'm sorry, it's a confession, but I, I like Liam Neeson movies. <laughs> and I, I think the reason I like Liam Neeson movies is because there's a sense in which I live vicariously through Liam Neeson. See, Liam Neeson in his movies, he always takes the bad guys down. One of the problems is that as a pastor, it's against our code of conduct to kill people. <laughs> but it doesn't mean that sometimes you don't feel like it. So I get some sense of outlet when I watch a Liam Neeson movie and it was interesting, in fact, that it was my last visit here. Someone came up and spoke to me after the service and said to me, has anybody ever said to you, you sound like Liam Neeson? <laughs> I'd actually had some people say to me, has anybody said to you, you look like Liam Neeson? I'd had that said a few times before. But it got me thinking, I thought I should capitalise on this. <laughs> and so that, how, many of you, how many of you have seen that movie, just bow your heads, Close your eyes. How many of you have seen that movie, the first Taken series? Give me a wave if you 
Yeah, okay, we'll have an altar call after. Um, for those of you that are pure and holy and maybe you've not seen that movie, it's Liam Neeson plays a former CIA operative. His teenage daughter is abducted by some really bad guys. Sorry for any Albanians in the midst this morning, um, but some really bad guys. And he tracks them down and he gets them on the phone. And those famous lines that I'm sure many, many of you know where he, where he goes, I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. If you're looking for ransom, I don't have money. But what I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. If you let my daughter go now, that'll be the end of it. I will not look for you. I will not pursue you. But if you don't, I will look for you. I will find you. And I will kill you. <laughs> I have this church to blame for that. But then you think, how can you use that? Like, they're just such great lines. And one day I got this really great idea. Telemarketers. So you ever had telemarketers ring you at the most inopportune times? I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. If you put the phone down now, that'll be then. Anyway. <laughs> the church, the church has got to learn how to engage this new world with the changeless message of the gospel. Change is inevitable, but irrelevancy is not. And more than ever, I think we need to see and experience, and some of us who have been followers of Jesus for a long time need to experience a fresh encounter because it's only the touch of God, it's only the presence of God, it's only an encounter with Jesus Christ that changes people's lives. And, and part of our responsibility if we are followers of Jesus to, is to introduce others to Him and to cause them to have an encounter. When was the last time you actually had an encounter with Jesus? I don't mean just come to church, but an encounter with the presence of God. Maybe you did this morning during worship. See, the thing I love about having an encounter with Jesus that even in the midst of a crazy culture and all sorts of ideology, someone has an encounter with God, that can't be argued. You can't, there's, there's no argument against an encounter, that experience, and we need to see, and I'm moving forward, I believe we will see a rise in the coming season. We're going to see a rise again in the expression of the supernatural. I believe we're going to see an increase in miracles and in healings and uh, salvations. So exciting, you've got a baptismal service coming up, that's awesome. And already, already I believe there is a new day dawning in the Spirit. There's a fresh wind of the Spirit blowing. And I want to encourage you, and as I see this as I, uh, as I travel around our country since late last year, something shifted. I suddenly began to go into churches and, and I saw a bit a rising tide in prayer. People beginning to a fresh hunger to seek God and in prayer, I began to see an increase in the sense of presence. It's like God's turning up. I mean, he's always here, we know, but 
But oh, I love it when his manifest presence is evident. And, uh, and sometimes, you know, we can get a little disheartened in the midst of a culture that's moving so far away from God. But I, I don't know how many of you saw the, the Jesus Revolution movie. I, I didn't get to see it because I was traveling. It was only in the cinemas for a short time. Um, but I reflect on that era and I, I, I know about the story. And uh, certainly in the, in the early 70s, and I was in, in Brisbane, late teens, and then into my early 20s. And, and you've got to remember that the, there was a cultural revolution happening back in that era. Free love, the whole hippie movement, drug, sex, rock and roll. There was, it, and that culture was as shocking to the then established culture as woke is to us now. And in the midst of this move away from everything that seemed to be godly, Rock and roll is okay. I love that. Um, but in the midst of this move away from everything that seemed to be godly, God began to turn up. And I can remember we'd go out street witnessing and methodology changes. But back in the day, we'd go out street witnessing with tracts and we'd invite people back to a Christian coffee shop, which was a setup for the night. It was a pop-up somewhere for the night. I'm not sure why we called it coffee shop because what we served we wouldn't call coffee anymore. <laughs> and I, you have so, I love coming to Adelaide. Adelaide has just great coffee, great cafes and restaurants. And uh, How many of you ever remember Pablo? Anybody ever? Joseph, if you had a healing of the memories? Yeah. Um, Pablo and uh, International Roast. Sorry if that's your go-to. Um, <laughs> and uh, we would invite people back and they would come. I don't know why. But we would see people get dramatically saved and come to Jesus, have an encounter with Jesus. We would see miracles happen. So with all that in mind, what time do we finish? You just remind me. 11.30. Cool. Good. It's only a polite question. doesn't mean anything. But it's, <laughs> no, no. There's, um, there's this remarkable, these remarkable verses in the Gospel of Matthew. <coughs> Excuse me. And there's this one verse that it's a statement at the end of some commentary about Jesus. There's four verses. But there's this one verse that's remarkable for all the wrong reasons. And I want us just to read this passage. You'll be familiar with it, many of you, I'm sure. It says this, Matthew 13, 15, 54 to 58. Coming to his hometown, which was Nazareth, Jesus began teaching the people in their synagogue and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary and aren't his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and aren't all his sisters with us? And where did the man get these things? Where did this man get these things? And they took offence at him. By the way, the culture, offensive culture is not new. It's just it is multiplied now because of social media and a whole lot of other things. But offence, people always love to take offence. Jesus said to them, only in his hometown and his own house is a prophet without honour. And here's the verse that just so astounds me for all the wrong reasons. And he did not do many miracles. And depending on the translation you read, just different shades. He did not do many mighty miracles. He did just a few miracles there because of their lack of faith, because of their unbelief. The message version says their hostile indifference. The Passion says their unbelief kept him from doing many mighty miracles. 
I find that mind-boggling. The people in a particular setting could actually limit what Jesus wanted to do. He could only do a few miracles in that place. Wow. They created an atmosphere. They created an atmosphere, an environment where Jesus couldn't do many miracles. I don't know about you, but I want to create an atmosphere around my life and in the churches that I'm a part, the church that I'm a part of and, and around us where God can do lots of stuff, where He can do many, many miracles. And so in these next few minutes this morning, I just want to talk about creating the atmosphere for God to do miracles. How many of you know that in life, atmosphere and environment is important? You cannot, for example, live on the moon or Mars or Pluto or because the environment, the atmosphere there will not support human life. Ambience and atmosphere is more important than we realise. You, um, you want to have a romantic evening. So if you remember back that far, um, just a hint, if you've got kids, lock them in a room or something. <laughs> Guys, turn off the football. I'm helping you here. Um, whatever it might be. But you want to create atmosphere that's conducive to a romantic evening. I, um, on my kitchen windowsill at home above, uh, above the sink, I've got some, some herbs. I've got, you know, some, some uh, basil and some, some other things. Um, <laughs> green things. And um, a few months ago, my daughter was visiting and she's got some similar things on, uh, at her place and, and Basil wasn't looking really well. And uh, she said, Dad, um, I think probably Basil needs a bit more sunlight than what, what it's getting there. So I tried, but unfortunately, Basil was quite ill and it wasn't long after that he passed away. Um, I've since got another basil. Um, and, but the point is that the environment and the atmosphere that I created was not conducive to that plant thriving. Let's tell you one, one other story about atmosphere. I mean, atmosphere is contagious. I, um, first time I ever really discovered this was the first time I went to a baseball game in the United States, I, I love sport and I didn't particularly follow baseball, but I just went for the experience. And, and if any of you here have been to a baseball game in the States, yeah, yeah, a number of you have. And, and I was at uh, Dodgers Stadium in LA and I've been to numbers of games over there since. But the first game, it's like Queensland, New South Wales, we have rugby league state of origin. And that atmosphere is probably the closest thing. You wouldn't understand it. Um, <laughs> Uh, it's a shame, but anyway, I could educate you on the finer points of rugby league. But I was at this baseball game, and and if you know, man, they know how to create atmosphere between every innings. The ba 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 ba, and you, everybody's cheering and shaking these noisy things, and and this whole atmosphere. I knew, and this is somebody who doesn't follow baseball, just went to see what it was like, and I knew this atmosphere had got me when at half time, I'm standing with my hand on my heart with everybody else singing, God bless America, was like, because the atmosphere was so contagious. Now we ought to be contagious with an atmosphere in our lives where God can do some stuff. Can you say amen? Yeah, amen. Now, we talk about miracles and creating an atmosphere for miracles. Um, 
we could define a miracle as the intervention of God in the natural order of things. The intervention of God in the natural order of things. By the way, to God, it's not a miracle. He doesn't have to go, oh, I've got to do a miracle. How do I? No, no, that's just who he is. That's his nature. That's who he is. When his presence shows up, the potential for miracles is there because that's who he is. He is supernatural. By the way, when we think of miracles, we, um, we often think of people being healed and the deaf hearing, the blind seeing, and, and those are absolute miracles, amazing. And, and we're going to see more of those things. But I want to suggest to you the greatest miracle of all, though, is a transformed life, the miracle of a transformed life. Because the best healing miracle that you can get, and I've had them and I thank God for them, I've seen many of them over the years, but they're only temporary. Whereas the miracle of a transformed life by the power of Jesus is eternal. Hallelujah. And I want to see more of those miracles. That's what I want to see. Lives transformed. But miracles rarely just happen. There are numbers of factors that play a part in putting people in the miracle zone, if you like. And this incident in Nazareth that we just read about, um, it says it was their unbelief, their lack of faith that stopped Jesus doing the miraculous. And we, we know from a study of Scripture, Old Testament and New, that faith is key to releasing the presence and power of God. And um, so what does faith look like? I've got a six-week series literally on that subject, what faith looks like. We'll be out of here by after lunch. Don't worry about the second service. Um, no, no, no I've, but let me, for the sake of simplicity, just distill it. I've distilled it down to two key elements that are part of faith and creating the atmosphere where God can do stuff. And it's distilled down to these two things, attitude and action. Now, attitude can be numbers of things. Now, look at the attitude that was a problem in this incident, and action. By the way, you know, praise is an attitude. Praise isn't a song. The song is the vehicle. You can sing the best song in the world, but if your heart is not an attitude, doesn't have an attitude of praise, that's not praise. It's just a song. So we'll just talk about two attitudes we'll touch on today. There, there are others. But these two elements are intrinsically related. These two dynamics work together to help create the atmosphere where miracles can occur. So in this incident with Jesus, there's one evident attitude of unbelief that was a problem. And the question is, well, what did that look like? And I want to suggest to you this morning that that attitude of unbelief looked like familiarity. Familiarity. Listen to this. See, they thought they knew him. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? Aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon and Judas? Aren't his sisters here with us? And, and listen, none of what they said was wrong. It was true. But they thought they knew him. They'd had experience with him. They knew his family. And that's all cool. But the moment you base anything on experience, it's only ever to do with the past and you shut out the possibility of something new happening. And familiarity, and for those of us that have been around 
church and around the walk, doing the walk for some time, it is easy to become familiar with God. It's easy to become familiar with the songs we sing and lose out on the essence of what it's about, Him. And familiarity is so dangerous. The moment we think we know Him, we know how He moves. We know how He works. We know how He does stuff. No, we don't. The longer I go on, the more, I don't mean this morning, I won't be going on too much longer. The longer I go on in life, the more I discover I know less about Him than I thought I did. And God is bigger than your thinking. I know that might be a rude shock, but the Bible even says that His ways are higher, His thoughts are higher than yours. And to be honest, I'm glad because if we could contain God within your brain or mine, it will be a very small God. I'm not trying to insult you. <laughs> and the moment, and, and see, part of familiarity is we have preconceived ideas. Preconceived ideas about how God works, because we've seen it. We've been there. We saw the last move, the outpouring of Spirit. We saw this, we saw that. No, 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 no. Preconceived ideas is dangerous. Familiarity is dangerous. It creates an atmosphere of unbelief. Familiarity in life is a dangerous thing. There's an old saying, familiarity breeds. Yeah. Now, we would never become contemptuous of God, I'm sure, not, not intentionally. But there's certainly an element in which we do become so familiar and familiarity robs us of appreciation. And it's true in life. So, you know, when you're married and you've been married for a while, you sometimes get familiar and there's a, lots of pluses. You get to know each other well, but familiarity can rob you of the appreciation, the things that you saw when you first started out together. And you no longer appreciate that. Familiarity robs you of wonderment and awe. And, and in our praise and our worship, we can, be, we can lose a sense of wonder and awe simply because the familiarity of what we think we know and have experienced before. Don't let familiarity, that attitude, rob you of God doing more, maybe doing something He's never done before. How many know that you haven't seen everything He can do? What could be ahead? What could be ahead? Um, so with the right attitude, we can create an atmosphere for miracles. Uh, let me just make a couple of quick, quick points. All of God's miracles start with one thing in common. They all start with a problem or a need. Because if you don't have, excuse me one moment. So at least, at least, the, at least this is. <laughs> um, some water bottles are so soft, you baptize yourself when you open them. Um, Excuse me. Um, so if you have a need or a problem this morning, you are a candidate for a miracle. If you don't have any needs, you don't have any problems, God bless you, enjoy this moment. But if you have a need or have a problem, then you are a candidate for a miracle. Hallelujah. Because all miracles that we read right through the Bible began with an issue or a problem or a need. But then the second issue, and this is the starting point for us, starting point for you, is that you have to acknowledge that you have a need or a problem. Now, that's a problem for us sometimes. Now, 
Maybe not if we have some physical need. It's easy to say, oh, I've got a sore knee or I've got a sore foot or I've got a cold or whatever. We'll, we'll acknowledge that. But what if the problem is something inside of us? What if the need is inside of us? What if it's, if it's a temper? What if it's uh, a negative thinking or a critical spirit or we could list a hundred things? What if it's something we are not too quick to acknowledge that? In fact, we're quick to blame circumstances or blame others or deflect, but we've got to acknowledge our issues. Let me just refer, we won't turn there this morning for sake of time, and the Old Testament, Second Kings, is an amazing story about a Syrian commander-in-chief called Naaman. And um, Naaman was diagnosed with leprosy, which was devastating and life-changing and the end of life as he would have known it. He's convinced by, uh, by a little servant girl to go and see the man of God, the prophet. He finally goes with his entourage to visit Elisha and um, turns up with the whole entourage. Elisha doesn't even come out to the door to meet this famous man. In fact, he sends out his servant with a message. And the servant says, uh, go and dip in the River Jordan seven times and you'll be healed. Well, Naaman, listen to this, says, um, Naaman went away angry. And he said, and, and listen to this, he had preconceived ideas about how he thought God would do stuff. He says, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. He had a preconceived idea about what he thought God would do. And he wasn't even a follower of God at that point. But he goes away and we read on in that passage, he goes away in a rage until finally some of his servants around him convince him that he should humble himself because he says, we've got better rivers in, in our country than to dip in the dirty old Jordan and he is in a rage and, and they say something. They say, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, wouldn't you have done it? Ooh. And he's convinced because there's pride. There's pride. He's convinced finally to go and dip in the river. And many of you would know the story that seven times and he comes out miraculously totally healed. So humility is another attitude that's crucial. Yeah, there's an interesting verse that says, God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. So, you know, if... If Joseph walks towards me this morning and I push him away, I'm resisting him. And I think, like, to get that picture in your mind, I do not want God going, whoa, 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 no, back off. He resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Now, humility is an interesting thing. How many of you have ever had an embarrassing moment in life? Give me, give me a wave. Oh, I wish we had time to go around and hear the stories. Um, <laughs> Just one quick story. Um, humility, sorry, when we feel embarrassed, and it's an interesting, it's a strange thing, it's a self-consciousness that about something that causes us to want to hide or hide from others. It involves our concern in relation to what others think about us. I, uh, it's about 20 years ago, there was a pastor on the Gold Coast who wanted an older man, a lovely man of God, who wanted to have lunch with me. And we met at Australia Fair and we met in the eatery and um, we go and get our lunch and we sit down and he wants to say grace and that's cool. I have no problem with saying grace in public. That's cool. But he reaches across the table and he grabs my hands. 
and he's holding my hands. Now, if this was a five second grace, that would have been okay. But he prayed for revival. He prayed for missionaries in every country of the world. And I'm sorry, but I just got really uncomfortable sitting there holding hands with another man and people walking past going, hmm, strange. Um, now, it's not as strange now as it was 20 years ago, I guess, but I just felt uncomfortable. Sweat's breaking out. It was just one of those embarrassing moments. Embarrassment's interesting. See, if I were to ask this morning... Who would come out here on stage with me and stand on one leg and do a pirouette while singing a nursery rhyme? Who, who would come and do that? Anybody come and... There's usually one. The, 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 yeah, I knew there'd be one somewhere. Yet yeah, the, no, the rest of you going, no way in the world would I embarrass myself by doing that. What if I said for $50... By the way, this is hypothetical, OK. What if I said for 50 Yeah, oh, we've got some people in now. And some of you still go, no way on in the world. What if I upped it to $100? Who's in now? Who would come and do it? Yeah, be willing. Yeah. Even Pastor Joe considered putting his hand up then. <laughs> what if I upped it to $1,000? Give me a wave if you'd be up for $1,000 to come. Yeah, there's a lot of hands now. I think I'll have the old call right now. Um, <laughs> if I, there's still somebody going, nah, not even for $1,000. If I said $10,000... I guarantee there would be few people that would not be up here. Your embarrassment has a price. If the reward is great enough, you don't care about what other people will think. You will come because you want to go for it. And sometimes we allow our self-consciousness to get in the way of humbling ourselves before God and we're too worried about whatever it is instead of thinking about what it is that we want from God and need from God. Let me conclude, the band, if you would join me on stage. Um, there's an interesting story, Mark chapter 3. Jesus um, has had a run-in with the religious police and Mark chapter 3, 1, we read, another time he went into the synagogue, there's a man with a shriveled hand. And some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. And, and Jesus says to the man with the shriveled hand, so I want you to get this picture. Here he is, there's all the, the people that are in the synagogue. This man has come with a need. He's got an evident disability. And then Jesus says to him, stand up in front of everyone. I'd be going, oh, Jesus, that's the last thing I want. That's the last thing I need. He stands up in front of everyone and while he's doing that, Jesus proceeds to teach the people a lesson because Jesus is angry at the stubbornness of their hearts, we read in the passage. And then as if it's not enough, Jesus says to the guy, stretch out your hand. Oh, come on, Jesus. That's, that's so embarrassing. That's, I'll stretch out my good hand. Here's the point I want to make. We're okay, and I'm not saying in terms of people, you can start playing guys if you want to, um, quietly, prefer preferably at the moment while I'm still talking. Um, we're happy for people to see the good stuff. I'm not suggesting we should go around to people exposing all our weakness and everything. But even sometimes to ourselves and to God, we're not willing to stretch out 
our disability, our need, our dysfunction, our problem. And Jesus says to the man with this problem, stretch out your problem. And sometimes we are so even to admit to ourselves or to admit to Jesus, I need you to touch my life. I need a miracle. And that moment, there was an attitude of humility and there was an action he stretched out his hand. And we don't have time, time's gone. But if we would go through Scripture time and again, you'll find there's these key elements and there's other attitudes as well. But I want to encourage you this morning, do not let familiarity and preconceived ideas rob you of something new that God can do in your life. And do not let pride, we don't call it pride, we might call it, well, I just, I've sat in church and there's been an altar call or an opportunity to respond given. And yeah, part of me knows, yeah, that's me. And I, I don't need to, God can touch me anyway. And, but sometimes God just wants us to take that step. Whatever that, whatever that is, I'm not, getting everybody to come out this morning. But I am going to get you to stand right now, if you would, please. Just stand. Are we just going to sing once through? Hallelujah. Can we, can we just sing? Thanks, Luke. If we can just sing hallelujah. We sang it earlier. It's simple one word. You can close your eyes. And I want you this morning, is there a hunger and desire in your heart for a fresh encounter with God? Is there a desire in your heart to see Him do more great stuff in your life and through you and around you and in this church? I'm sure you want that. But I want to encourage you this morning, whatever, make sure the attitudes of your heart are humble before God. Make sure you don't have preconceived ideas if, if you've just gotten into the routine of church and, and praise and worship, then just acknowledge that before God this morning. And if you've got some issue in your life, why don't you just stretch out your withered hand this morning before Him, say, Jesus, I need your touch. I need your help. I need you. Why don't we just sing this through once? Thanks, Lou. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, just thank the Lord. Thank the Lord for your healing. Thank the Lord for breakthrough. Thank the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You're going to see us through, Lord. You're going to make a way where there doesn't seem to be one, Lord God. Thank you, Jesus. You're the God who, who removes giants, Lord God. You're the mountain-moving God. Thank you, Jesus. 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 Father, just thank you for this word. Thank you for a powerful word. We never want to be familiar with your presence. Never, Father God, do we, do we want to be too proud to reach out to you. And Father, we just pray for an atmosphere where you can move and speak and heal, oh God. Oh, Father, I just pray. I just pray. Pray for those in the congregation with a, with a broken heart, Lord God, with, that needs healing. Pray for those for physical healing. Just reach out, those who need miracles. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Those who need a touch from you, Lord God. Those who are struggling in their, 
in their families, in their marriage, Lord God, relationships, having children, Lord God. Just reach out in the name of Jesus. You're a miracle-working God. I just pray, Father, just reach out in Jesus' name. You're the God of the impossible. Is there anything too difficult for me, says the Lord? Is there, is there something that's too difficult for me, says the Lord? For nothing is impossible with you, Lord. Just reach out in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And I just thank you for what you're going to do. Be glorified. We pray even as we go from this place. Let us be Jesus wherever we are. Let us do the very things that Jesus would do. Say the words that Jesus would say. I pray, help us to be Jesus wherever you've placed us. In our community, we pray. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 What a great word. What a great sense of God's presence. God bless you. You have a, have a great rest of the week. And uh, we'll see you back next week. Amen.